presents The Brooke Taylor Show. Encounter, adventure, evangelize. And now your host, Brooke Taylor. This is a special episode. Hello and welcome. My name is Brooke Taylor. And today's show is telling the story of a humble woman who is on the path to sainthood, servant of God, Rhoda Wise. If you don't know her story, then I would recommend just preparing to be enwrapped in her remarkable life, what you are about to hear. And again, the reminder of how personally God loves and cares for us. And if you do know Rhoda's story already, I think you're going to find some details perhaps you have never heard before and from a perspective rarely told because today's show features a rare interview with the granddaughter of Rhoda Wise. I was blessed to sit down with Darlene and you'll hear that conversation today. So let's jump in. Rhoda Wise is a convert to the Catholic Church. She was a mystic, a stigmatist, and perhaps, probably, most well-known for healing, by the power of our Lord, a young woman named Rita Rizzo from a condition called dropped stomach. And Rita Rizzo then would later enter the poor clairs of perpetual adoration and become known as Mother Angelica. So recently, Eternal Word Television Network, EWTN, spent several days in Canton filming the program, They Might Be Saints. And they spent several days filming with award-winning author, famed miracle hunter, Michael O'Neill. He's the host. So the episode tentatively is set to air in July. So we're right now in the process of setting up an interview with Michael that would get out closer to the EWTN special. So stay tuned for that. But I did receive a note from Monica, who helps with the Rhoda Weiss home, that I can share. Filming consisted of interviews, testimonials about Rhoda's life, miraculous healings, and just the profound impact on individuals since Rhoda's death in 1948. And that includes one documented presumed medical miracle. A few years ago, I had covered that briefly and just shared the news on social media. It was 2019. The details of that healing were hand-delivered by the judicial vicar of the Diocese of Youngstown and the Episcopal delegate for the case for Rhoda Wise, personally delivering a sealed envelope to the prefect of the Apostolic Nuncio in Washington. And then from there, the documents were sent to the prefect of the Congregation for the Cause of Saints. It's always a exciting to hear this process, to see it at work. And from going back to October 7th, 2016, Rhoda Wise's cause for beatification was opened in the Diocese of Youngstown. So what brought us here? What is Rhoda's story? There is an official website dedicated to propagating the story, the cause of Rhoda Wise, so you can read in her own words the full account of what transpired and the healings that occurred. There's also a beautiful book called Her Name Means Rose, and that also shares the story. There's a gallery of pictures on the website you can visit. There's a novena. There's a lot more, but the website is simply rhodawise.com, R-H-O-D-A, W-I-S-E.com, RhodaWise.com. And so as we color in Rhoda's life and the remarkable details and what happened and the facts, I do want to read a portion of her account in her own words now. And that will set up the conversation that you will hear from Rhoda's granddaughter, Darlene. So let's do that now.
1932, when I was 44 years of age, I had a 39-pound tumor removed by an operation. The incision healed nicely. One night in December of 1936, I seriously injured my ankle when I accidentally stepped into an open water drain at the curb of a dark street. Its iron cover had been broken. My leg was placed in casts one after another, but without any good results as my foot remained bent inwards. I could not stand on it without great pain and could only walk on crutches. Several doctors declared my injury to be permanent. In June of 1938, I re-entered Mercy Hospital in Canton for the placing of another cast. On this occasion, a nurse discovered that an abscess had formed on my old abdominal incision. The abscess was promptly opened, but soon it was found that adhesions had formed on the bowel under the incision. I was operated on for these adhesions in July and August of 1938 and again in January of 1939. The wound resulting from these operations refused to heal. About a week after the third operation, the bowel underneath this wound became perforated and thereafter the contents of the intestines were discharged through that open wound. This necessitated frequent dressings of the open wound every day. During my long stay in the hospital, I, a Protestant, became interested in the rosary and had one of the sisters teach me how to say it. Soon after, I learned about St. Teresa, the little flower of Jesus, and became greatly devoted to her, making one novena after another to her. I then felt myself drawn to the Catholic Church, and after being instructed by Monsignor Habig, the pastor of St. Peter's Church, I was received into the church by him on January 1st. 1939. On February 12th, the doctor told me definitely there was no hope of a cure for my abdominal condition. On that same day, I began keeping a diary for the first time in my life, describing my condition and the events occurring each day. This diary is still being kept and the records in detail, the visions and cures which later occurred. On the occasion of a confirmation service held at St. Peter's in Canton on March 7, 1939, Bishop McFadden graciously went to Mercy Hospital and confirmed me on my sickbed. I was discharged from the hospital on May 8, 1939 as being apparently incurable. The doctor had told my relatives and later myself that I was afflicted with cancer. I was taken to my humble home and put to bed there. After a visiting nurse came to daily dress my wound, the draining from which had caused my entire abdomen to become raw and intensely sore, the soreness caused me greater distress than the wound itself. At 2.45 a.m. on the 28th day of May, 1939, our blessed Lord appeared to me as I lay awake in bed at my home. The room, which had been dark, suddenly became bright, and then, I turned around in bed to see the cause of it. I beheld Jesus sitting on a chair beside my bed. I distinctly saw the marks of his forehead where the thorns had pierced his brow. He was gloriously beautiful and was robed in a gold garment which reflected every color. My first thought was that my time had come, and I said to him, Have you come for me? His answer was, No, your time has not yet come. He then declared that he would return in 31 days. As I reached out to touch his resplendent garment, he disappeared. On June 28, 1939, Jesus again appeared to me at 2.45 a.m. The room suddenly lighted up, and there he stood in the doorway, clothed in white, and the little flower was with him. He declared, I am here, as I said. The little flower approached my bed and motioned to me to remove the coverlet and the dressing from my wound. She then placed her hand on my abdomen and said, I am the little flower. You have been tried in the fire and not found wanting. 
faith cures all things. She would not permit me to replace the dressing, but returned to our Lord's side. And Jesus said, I will come again. There is work yet to be done. Then they vanished, and immediately I fell asleep. When I awoke at 5 o'clock a.m., I was astounded to find that the wound on my abdomen was entirely closed. All the rawness which had extended over the entire abdomen was also completely gone and replaced with healthy, tan-colored skin. The ruptured bowel, too, was entirely healed. Great was the rejoicing of my relatives and friends, and in the days that followed, a large number of people came to my home to see me. Now that my abdomen seemed completely cured, the doctor placed another cast on my leg on July 14th. This cast in time proved too light to keep my foot from turning inwards, and on August 11th, a heavier cast was applied, which caused me much discomfort. At 2.45 on August 15, 1939, as I sat up in bed crying with the pain caused by the light-fitting cast, the room suddenly lighted up again, and the little flower stood by my bed and said, This is a very little thing. Stand up and walk. I placed my feet on the floor and stood up. And as I did so, the cast over a foot long split open from the bottom, and I easily stepped out of it. The little flower then said, go to church now, and immediately disappeared. I, who had not walked without crutches for over two and a half years, found that my foot was again perfectly straight and sound, and I walked quite freely about the house. At 6 a.m., I was taken by automobile to Mercy Hospital, where I walked from the elevator to the chapel, a distance of some 60 yards without the slightest assistance. I then heard Mass for the first time in my life. It was the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I had been walking without difficulty ever since. On December 29, 1939, at 3.30 a.m., our Lord again appeared to me in my room. Among other things, he said, you will win many souls through your devotion to the Sacred Heart and the Little Flower. On April 3, 1940, at 2.40 a.m., our Lord appeared to me and dictated a message which I wrote down at his direction, in which he said, among other things, cures more wonderful than your own will take place on this spot. He also spoke of many conversions that would occur and declared, I will not see you again for a long time. Much will be accomplished before I return again. And in the years between Rhoda's cure and her death, she saw our Lord and St. Therese 20 times, also suffering a visible stigmata every first Friday from noon until 3 o'clock p.m. for two and a half years from 1942 through 1945. after she suffered invisible wounds until her death. There are so many other splendid and sacred stories to share from her alcoholic husband who was deep in the disease of alcoholism, who was then cured for the rest of his life, which you will hear Darlene reference in our interview, not ever imagining that her grandfather had been an alcoholic. And how exactly that miraculous sobriety occurred to the many pilgrims who came from around the United States and around the world. And in the excerpt of the account that I read, there is 
evidence. There are proofs and medical files, particularly documenting those healings she talks about with regards to the perforated bowel, the fresh skin completely healing over the wound in her abdomen, as well as her foot. The facts of Rhoda's life have been scrupulously documented and corroborated, so it is of the utmost importance that those details are correct and preserved. But today, in our interview, which you're about to hear, we are coming at this from the perspective of a granddaughter. This is the story through the voice and the experience of Darlene, who was only four months old, as you will hear, at the time that her grandmother, Servant of God, Rhoda Wise, died. And Darlene's mother, Anna May, who was the adopted daughter of Rhoda and George, in the years following Rhoda's death, always opened the home. So I wanted to leave room for Darlene's narrative. Her story, as I mentioned in my opening remarks, in terms of a profile on Darlene, she has been a faithful fixture of the home and her grandmother's legacy since her birth, but she has rarely ever given interviews. So I think both of us were a little bit nervous, which you may hear, and excited, which might be evident at first. It takes us a little while to get going, so you'll hear that. But there is also a beauty in that. I think you'll find the story she shares with Jesus sitting down to be quite deeply felt, quite profound reflection on the intimate way that our Lord waits for us and loves us so personally. It was one of the favorite highlights of the conversation that I look forward to you hearing. And I thanked Rhoda and Mother Angelica with such copious gratitude just to have this interview green-lighted. It was such a tremendous honor because I am just one among hundreds of thousands of souls who have pilgrimaged to the home over the years, thanks in part to my mother Joan, who first brought me to meet Karen. And Karen alone, who has been the caretaker for decades now, was someone who impacted me greatly and helped begin my own reversion. And that played a role coming back to the church and a true relationship with the living God. And when my husband Jim and I were first married, he was plagued with nightmares. This was when he was still in the army. And after we visited Rhoda's home and we prayed for her intercession, he never experienced a nightmare ever after that again. There are items left in the altar room of those that have been cured, leg braces and glasses. And so I hope that this is an invitation just the beginning for you to learn more about Rhoda's life and be blessed by Darlene's story. Here now, my conversation at a kitchen table in the home of Rhoda Wise with the granddaughter of Servant of God, Rhoda Wise, Darlene. Take a listen. Well, today's show is tremendously special as I have the honor of sharing the story of Rhoda Wise and her journey to sainthood and the blessed opportunity to sit with a family member. If you don't know Rhoda Wise, she was a convert to the Catholic faith, a wife, a mother, a stigmatist, a mystic, a faith friend and mentor to Rita Rizzo, also known as Mother Angelica, and the investigation into her cause for sainthood was opened and she has since been declared a servant of God by the Vatican. And I remember as a young woman visiting the Rhoda Wise home for the first time and the impact that it made on me. And I know as I say this, I'm just one small drop in the ocean of faithful who have been touched by visiting the Rhoda Wise home, who have pilgrimaged here. Over 14,000 people attended her funeral in 1948, one of the largest in the history of Canton. And since then, countless cures have been attributed to her intercession. Pilgrims have come from all over the world to see 
the home that we sit in now for this interview. And unknown numbers have returned to the faith through the miracle of Rhoda's life. And so today, very honored to sit down with Rhoda's granddaughter, Darlene, to tell you the story of a soul whose name, Rhoda, means Rose. And that's also the name of her book, her biography. Hi, Darlene. Hi. Thank you for your yes to the interview. Oh, you're welcome. There's so much of the story that is truly a movie, like a biblical epic. It began small and humble, like it's all the greatest stories do. Yes. She was born in Cadiz, Ohio in 1888, born the sixth of eight children, a very anti-Catholic home. And her sisters and their family turned against her. At the age of 16, her appendix ruptured. She was taken to the hospital and there, for the first time, she met someone Catholic. She met a nun. Correct. Yes. So this nun gave her a Benedictine medal, and it sounds like that planted a seed in Rhoda. She didn't recoil against that. Something actually opened up where she was invited into the beauty of the Catholic Church in just that little way. Yeah, yeah. And so then she moves to Canton, and she gets married. Her first husband dies, and then she meets George. Which we called Baba. My brother could not say grandpa, so we called him Baba, and eventually the whole neighborhood called him Baba. They ended up ad adopting. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little about Anna Mae, your mom. She got adopted, and um, she met my father, John. I know that the children, well, let's say John and I, well, no, Tammy too, when the buses would come, we'd help fill the holy water bottles. The pilgrims. Yes. So you've been a part of this home your whole life. Right. And right. I know your mom, you know, your mom lived it. Your mom saw the health. So we'll go back to Rhoda's health challenges, which were staggering. Yes, and they were. In 1939, she develops a 39-pound ovarian cyst. Uh, there was no way that anyone could heal her. No one, no doctors could find a way to cure her and they sent her home to die. They removed or tried to remove the cyst, but then it wouldn't close. Right, she had an opening that wouldn't stay shut. The skin, you know, there wasn't enough skin there, so it would just stay open. So it was like her bowel was there and the acid and everything would come and it would burn that area around the skin. Yes, yes. And then something happened. She was healed. And that it is a miracle when the doctors send you home to die they can't do anything. And then overnight, it's cured with brand new skin. Tell me how that happened, <laughs> but God. There were many people helping change her, her dressing, so there's a lot of people that seen that. And now they didn't have to do it anymore. Really? Again, really? So that caught attention of the church, the local priest, the staff at the hospital, even people started to talk. And mm -hmm. at the same time, this conversion of Rhoda's spirit. So then she comes fully into the church. And as you mentioned, her family turns against her. Mm -hmm. There's a photo album in the greeting area where you come and you sit and you watch the story of Rhoda, those who come to this home. Right. This, and you see these black and white images with what you would almost think would be out of a supernatural poltergeist movie. It's this light that in the 30s and 40s, is no way that it could be manufactured coming out from the window. And these were the visits from our Lord. People started to gather and look for that light and stand outside the home. Right, I heard from many people that the stars just gathered above the home at that time, right above the house. It was so bright that some people just got down on their face prostrated. 
They it, fri it frightened them too, I'm sure. But it was that bright. Come on, really? What back then was that bright? There were a lot of miracles then starting to happen, including an additional miracle with your grandma and her foot. She was walking home and one of the city sewers was open and she broke it that way. She stepped in there and broke it. Then I think that was like the ninth cast. The healings with people coming in, the pilgrim, including one Rita Rizzo. Did you remember hearing anything about this? I knew she was a sister, a nun, but I didn't really know how she got so involved with everything. I didn't really know. But then when she, I, I heard about her healing here, and, and I'll tell you right now, she's a big part of this whole thing. She yeah. kept her, she promised our Lord if she got healed here, that she would tell people about where she got healed and how she got healed. And she kept her promise. And I, I truly believe she was a big, big part of this, of how it's just booming. You know, there's this little feisty nun that <laughs> is going to say what she wants to say. She kept her promise. She said, the little, if it wasn't for the little house on 25th Street in Canton, Ohio. Yes. There's a picture of Rhoda, Rita, and I think uh, Mother Angelica's mother yes. as well. Mm -hmm. And so they, I know that Rita came more than once. And there in the book also is a scene where Rhoda sits up in bed and she says, my Rita. And the thought was that perhaps our Lord had given Rhoda the vision of what Mother Angelica would do with EWTN and, and what would become, because she was a mystic as well. And we see that in Rhoda's writings. And that wasn't the end of the story. But then in 1942, Good Friday, it's April 3rd that year, Rhoda receives the wounds of Christ, the stigmata. You, as a young girl, always growing up in this home, seeing the blood-stained dress that now hangs on the wall, what was that like? Was it was it frightening. <laughs> it was, it was frightening. And that was scary for a child to look at. Sometimes I wanted to look at them and sometimes I didn't want to, especially when I was little. No, I didn't want to see it, you know. I didn't even want to sleep in the, my bedroom sometimes. That, my bedroom was right in the room by the, where the divider is. Um, in fact, even when I got in high school, I didn't want to be in that bed by myself. But So it took a while to adjust to this It did. Life. It really did. What has she taught you about suffering? Oh. But after I see what she went through and, you know, to see her suffer the greatest suffering ever. God had to give her strength beyond what you or I could suffer. I, I just, she's, no, she's a human being, I mean, and she had to love him dearly. She had to love him dearly to do that. Rhoda said the greatest miracle of her life in all of them was that George, who was a, a raging alcoholic, became sober. And he saw our Lord, and that was all that he needed <laughs> the one time. That's all he used. only took one time with... <laughs> the fear of God. I mean, yeah. it was real. Oh, he was a sweet man. We never seen him touch a drink, ever. So the George that was before, you, you wouldn't even have known because of his no. conversion. No, he was the kindest, dearest, loving man. I used to sit on his lap to watch TV. In your mom's faith. She never stopped letting people come in any time of the day. 
I would be having breakfast. So this was your home? Yes. And she would let people in? Yeah. At 7 o'clock in the morning when I was having breakfast, somebody would be sitting here having a cup of coffee with her that would get off the bus down the street and, you know, and she'd let them come in because it was like winter and um, get warmed up and then they'd go say their grocery and then they'd go back on the bus. Sometimes it'd be 10 o'clock at night. She lets someone in to say a prayer. One of the greatest miracles, I think, is that none of us were harmed mm. or nothing was stolen. Although I will say, uh, I ran into someone who, there's a Jesus chair in the altar room and it's painted gold. Yes. And that's the chair that Jesus sat in. And so now it's painted gold. And a friend of mine who has, their husband has an upholstery business. They said, you know, they had to reinforce the bottom of that yes. chair yes. because people would try to uh, break With off. keys. Yeah, pieces of the wood. Fingernail file. I just hope they realize what they have when yeah. she becomes a saint. Out of all the, the band, the bleeding, the visitations, about a year and a half ago, I've, I've lived here all my life practically. Hit me like a ton of bricks. Knocked me off my feet almost. When you mentioned the chair, I, something hit me, like I said. Here, here, picture this. Here's my grandmother in her bed laying. Our Lord comes and sees her and visits her. Now, if you had, a, you were in the hospital and you were ill and you had a friend come and visit you, if they stood in the doorway or just stood and they seen a chair there, wouldn't you say to yourself, oh, I don't think they're going to be able to stay very long. Mm -hmm. They're in a hurry. Yeah. What did our Lord do for him and how human he became for us, the creator of the universe, seen a, a kitchen chair and sat down for Rhoda. Can you, can you imagine what my grandma felt like when he did that? It's, I mean, you know, I've seen the bandage, I hear the stories, but when the creator of the universe says, you know what, I'm here for you, I know what you're doing for me, I know what you're suffering, sits down for her. If that would have been me, if I could have, I would have probably got out of bed and said, no, no, get up. I should be below you. Yes. Mary and Martha, he loved them dearly. Mm -hmm. And Lazarus, in a time where we can barely look up from our phones or barely stop our hurried pace, what a lesson Yes. to sit, to be still, and how humbling it is I, I mean, he just came like a, like a friend. He's not in a big hurry. I'm here for you. I'm in no hurry. And, and to me, it tells me how much he loves us. Uh, we're his creation. How much he loves us to do that. You know, we want to get at his feet because he's, he's our creator. But he sat down in a kitchen chair for her, because look what she was doing. He was, she took on his suffering for other people. There's so much still, and it 
reminds me of when you open sacred scripture and you can see the same words and you can read the passages, but it's always ever ancient, ever new. And every time I come into this home, there's something new and different mm -hmm. that yes. I am hit with. And like you were saying, it doesn't matter. We didn't talk about the host that was dropped into, that appeared. My mother was, they were filling her, Mr. Mrs., we called her Mrs. Hodge. She lived across the street. My mother made sure we never ever called any elderly person by their first name, so Mrs. Hodge. <laughs> to <laughs> and this day. They came, she came, because the buses were coming, and um, people would bring their own jars. And we're talking mayonnaise jars. You know how big a mayonnaise jar is? <laughs> you know, and they would, we would fill them out of that bottle. You know, we were told to get just so low and then fill it up, you know, with your own water. Holy water. Mm -hmm. So she was over at the sink, and she was filling up all these jars and and our neighbor, seeing how she was getting very upset and tired, you know, and she said, Anime, she goes, let me help you. She's, I see you're, you know, you're getting really frustrated. So as she went to hand it to her, a light came through and it hit the bottle and then the host we have to say seems to be the host because it's not been tested yet. Okay. So. But it's been, so there was a flash of light in the jar. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, a tangible host mm -hmm. appears and floats to the bottom where it remains today. Like 60 some 60 years. 60 years later. Yeah. Undissolved. And that's just one little piece of when you walk in, what you will find, in addition to the rose petals that have the images of St. Therese. of St. Therese. They just appeared. They, you know, people would leave rose petals and roses, and they would fall on the altar and on the bed and them up, and there would be images in them. So. And in addition to that, the scent of roses. Still to this day, people will be here, and they smell that very strong yes, aroma they, of roses. Mm -hmm. Yes. When you hear, when they smell it, there's no doubt. It's yes, very it's so gaggy. strong. It's like very strong, you know, because I'm always going, you know, if they, somebody says something, I'm going, you sure it might not be the person? Because it's really overwhelming when, when you smell it. It's wow. not, it's like nothing you've like smelled before. It's like definitely a rose smell. Just, I stole them in, are you kidding? I, when, I, when it happens, I'm still going, wow, you know, Wow, it, it's amazing. There are many testimonies of healings that's been documented. So where are we with the sainthood process? I remember the first time I was here, Karen sharing the relationship between Mother Angelica mm -hmm. and saying, I believe one day when Mother Angelica receives her reward and she goes to heaven, that's really when people will know the story of Rhoda. And it seems like that's happening. And here the investigation's been opened. Yes. The cause has been undertaken. And I know in 2018, a special mass was held. Yes. It was the 70th anniversary of her death. And then during that mass, the acts of the case was present and sealed for transport to Rome. So the case the, uh, for sainthood continues. Takes a while though. <laughs> it takes a while. What do you think your mom would say? I think she probably would have to wait till she got done crying first, like <laughs> me. Yeah, I think she breathed a big sigh of 
finally, yes. That's what I would say, yes. This mission, this validation. What do you say to the skeptics who say, ah, how can you believe all that? You might as well just let them say what they want to say because I don't think there's anything that's going to change someone's mind if they truly, truly are here just for the purpose of something they want to find out that they can say it's wrong. You're not going to change those people's minds. You just got to pray for them. You have to pray for them. That's it. And I think the distinction, too, that we don't come here to worship Rhoda, but to venerate and to be edified by her witness. When, as you talked about suffering, you see a servant who is beyond our understanding in grace and this profound call to enter into the, the mystery of redemption in the way that she is, there's no question in the lineage of saints and the shoulders of the giants that we stand on that, that these are our living witnesses. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so I think that that's, for me, also an important reminder to my Protestant and even my secular brothers and sisters that, what if? Pause and think, what if? What if there's something deeper? What if there's something greater? What if there's meaning in what you're suffering? And there is. And so I think in that regard, um, she is a hero for the ages. Yes. Well, yes. thank you for your time and your story. Oh, you're welcome. The book. Her Name Means Rose is out now, as well as The Holy Water. So the house is open all year. I yes. mean, I don't know if Karen, the caretaker, is as open as your mom with letting people come in at all hours. I know. No, no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but she is very hospitable. Oh, she so sure is. It's is just she? a matter. Oh, there's so many here that help. If it wasn't for the helpers, and they're, they're a blessing to us. They are. Yes. A, a good community. And how can we support the cause of Rotowise. Come, come visit. Just come and see for yourself. And I'll give you a big hug. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Darlene. <laughs> oh, right. Thank you. Thank you again to Darlene for entrusting me with her story, also with the invitation for you to visit. And again, the website is rotawise.com. I will link up the website in the show notes. The property is called The Miracle Home. It also includes a grotto. And when you're there, purchase a copy of the book. Her name means Rose. The Rotawise story It was written by Karen Sigler. She is the longtime caretaker of the home. I want to end with just a portion of the final few paragraphs of the book. It's from a letter written by Rhoda to her friends on January 17, 1946. How blessed those who are born Catholic and how so very careless sometimes about their religion. 40 minutes is such a long time to be at Mass, while four hours watching a movie or in a bar is such a short time. How much so many of you hurt him and cause his heart to pain. He loves you to tell him often how much you love him. Tell him all your little heartaches. Joys too. Thank him for all the good things he gives you. It is such a little thing for you to do and means so much to him. So many want so much from our Lord and do not want to pay for it. If they would only stop and think the price He paid for all of us sinners, they would not be greedy and stingy and want all and give nothing. He will make you brave and He will give you courage if you put all your trust in Him. I do not forget you in my prayers. Please know that I need many prayers for courage and strength. Above all, I ask to be ever humble. Very sincerely, Rhoda Wise. 
What a beautiful saint and heavenly friend to call upon for her intercession, whether that is a physical diagnosis of chronic pain or abdominal issues, leg or foot issues, poverty, adoption, alcoholism, conversion of souls, and the list goes on. St. Therese, the Little Flower, pray for us. Mother Angelica, pray for us. And Servant of God, Rhoda Wise, pray for us. God bless you.